I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 116, which along with Psalms 110 and 117 are the Psalms appointed for today, Saturday, August the 27th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Job, um, beginning with chapter 9, verse 1, and then skipping the rest of chapter 9, because we read most of that yesterday. All this is, is the first verse just sets the, the stage. It's Job answering then go to ten, chapter 10, verses 1 to 9, and then 16 to 22. In John's Gospel, we're in the 8th chapter, verses 12 to 20. Um, and then in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we're in chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. So Job, remember, is, is answering Bildad, who has essentially accused him of, there must be sin in your life, there must have been sin in your children's lives, All else this wouldn't have happened to you and to your children. And so he's responding, and, and now he says, I loathe my life. I'm not sure it gets worse than that. And again, you know, this is uh, this is not been Job's pattern of life. He didn't loathe his life before. But when you bring pain and suffering at the level that Job has, you know, it, it's beyond anybody's ability to cope or to even imagine that that God's not out to get you, in spite of the fact that we know that's not what's actually going on here. He says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And and who could blame him? I mean, and again, what he's doing is he is crying out to God. He, he is... Um, He's expressing exactly what he feels, and, and there's so many psalms where you can see these same kinds of things, um, the, the same kinds of emotions being expressed in there. He said, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man, or your years as a man's years, that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin, although you know I'm not guilty, and there's none to deliver out of your hand? And he, he's, what he's seeing is, what he's saying, actually, is, is that, that you aren't flesh and blood. You know, no one can contend with you. You are God in the heavens. You, you are this. You are not. Do you see like a man sees? Apparently, you don't take any compassion on me at all. What have I done that you have come against me in this way? Your hands fashioned me and made me, and now you've destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? And the answer to that is, yeah, actually, he will. And then we say that at the funeral uh, service in, in the Anglican world. We'll say, you know, all we go down to dust, yet even uh, as we go to the grave, we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. We are ashes to ashes, dust to dust. God made us, but to dust we shall return. And that's the reminder that, that we, we're given, and that's who we are. And it reminds us who we are in order that we might remember who he is and the loving kindness that he has towards us first in creation and then sending his son to take on flesh and dwell among us. It's, it's an incredible thing. Jesus is the corrective to all this. 
Everything that Job is saying here, the corrective to this, God's answer to this is Jesus, right? And so that, that's the truth, that, that this world has pain and sorrow and death and all this other stuff, and yet God sees it, knows it, and, and has the answer for it. And that's the promise of eternity for those who believe in his Son. And it, it's a powerful corrective, and, and if you have that belief and that faith, I can tell you the truth, and, and that is you can overcome that emotion and this emotion. It's not wrong to feel it, but, but the reality is, is that, that when we lost our son, we're standing in the truth, in faith, that he's with the Lord and that we will see him again. And so he's been delivered from the pain of this world. We're still in the middle of it. You know, we can envy him. We can, we can think of, the way that a lot of people think, is to say, oh, well, he never got to da 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 Well, a lot of people never got to da 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 So it's, it, but he got to be with the Lord. He ran his race, and now he's with the Lord. And, and it's, it would be, I, I'm not comparing my situation to Job's, because his is extraordinary. But would Job be comforted to know that thousands of years later, people like me, people like you, people all over the globe, read his story, feel his pain, and connect with this man. How would Job feel to know that his story was this meaningful? It's amazing to me, absolutely amazing. He says, and were my head lifted up, you'd hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. These people here, these who have come here and made my life worse. They've made my pain worse. And, and we've certainly had to deal with that. The girl that Will dated before he died. I mean, this girl rained down hell on us. And you never know, when is this going to end and why in the world would she do this? And it's because she's selfish and narcissistic and, and got something from it from absolutely trying to destroy our reputations and wills. It's absolutely incredible. So I've seen this. I know what this is to have somebody come along and do these kinds of things. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before an eye had ever seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. I mean, the, the, the pain that Job has, the, the suffering day to day, and this man still brings his complaint and he speaks to the Lord in this. He's not ending his life. He wants to understand why suffering has come into his life. And it's because he doesn't have the, the theological underpinnings to see this, because his belief system is still based in, I didn't do anything wrong, therefore nothing bad should happen to me. He's not seeing himself at one with humanity. Jesus is the one who never did anything wrong, period, end of sentence. Never spoke a word against the Father, never never blamed. No, he took it all. He took it all and was silent before the shearers. And he says, Job goes on to say, are not my days few? I mean, I'm only going to be here a little while. Then cease and leave me alone that I might find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. I mean, the, the bitterness in his soul and, and the, the just misery in life is, is so great it's unbelievable. And who could blame him? 
I mean, that's the thing you always have to say when you, when you read this. It, it does you do well to remember what this man's gone through. He's lost everything. He's lost all his wealth. He's lost all his children. And now he's lost his health. And there's no end in sight. And there's no explanation for why any of this would have happened. And, and most of us never get any explanation for why bad things happen to us. And we take for granted that if something good happens to us, well, we deserve that in some shape, form, or fashion. We only want answers for why bad things come into our lives. And, and Job here, as I said, nobody can compare their suffering to Job. It's, it's beyond comprehension what this man lost. And, and he had every reason and did believe that he had everything because he did all the right things. And now, in spite of the fact that he's not ever not done all the right things, he has none of it. He has only pain, and his existence is a painful thing to him in, in every single way, emotionally, spiritually, physically. You can, you can just understand exactly why he's here, and there's no explanation for it except for we know the explanation. We know that, that God and Satan, the Satan, had a, had a talk. Now, we also know, at least some of us, know the end of the story. He gives him back everything plus some. But does it replace the children that he loved and lost? Having other children doesn't fully replace or fix the loss of the ones that he had previously had. It, none of that stuff fills the void, but he's not looking for it to fill the void. He just knows God is good, ultimately. And that's all he knows and all he cares about, because God heard him and responded to him. He may not have responded to him and given the answers that he wanted, but he responded. So he knew that God knew him, and God heard him in the same way that Hagar did. In the gospel today, Jesus is speaking and says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I could go on and on and do a long series on um, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? What is the light of the world? Well, it's the first light that came into the world. When God said, let there be light, that light in Jewish teaching is a light by which you could see from one end of creation to the other across space and time. And then that light went away when sin came into the world, because then what would happen would be you could see, okay, if I do this, this will be the outcome, but then you could measure around sin and do that, and so that light had to be dimmed. But it's the light of understanding is the way to to work out what this means. It, it gives understanding of everything, of creation, of eternity, of time itself, and so it, it helps us to see the end of all things. And so Jesus is the light of the world. Now, what's the other thing that's the light of the world? The Torah is the light of the world. And so what they say in Judaism is this, that, that when at Sinai the people said, we will do and we will listen, that they each got two crowns. Those two crowns were taken away <laughs> at, um, at the time of the golden calf. They all got one back ultimately, but the others were scattered throughout the world. And by doing mitzvah in all these places, then they're digging up that light, the light which enlightens people. Because we can see God's goodness and his glory by people doing works of God. And so we are light. We bring light where we go to the extent that we are doing the work that Jesus gave us to do, and we're doing it from the Holy Spirit. So the light of the world is Torah, 
And the, the light, the primordial light that was created first is that light. And so the way this, the temple was set up, the windows into the holy place were, were curved in such a way that light didn't enter those windows, it went out those windows. It was for the lights of the menorah that were there in the temple. And that light gave light into the world. That was a more important light, the light from the holy place. It was more important that that go out into the world than the light of the world come in. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he's already promised we would have rivers of living water. And now he's saying, if you, if you follow him, you will have the light of life. Showing you the way and coming from inside of you. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. That, that's not good enough. We, we can't just take your word for it. We need others to bear witness about you, so you can't just say these things. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. So it's not a matter of being true or not. It's whether you believe it. So when you say your testimony is not true, what you're saying is we don't believe it. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the case. If I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. So you're not accepting it as true. That's your problem. I'm standing here in security and confidence. I know who I am. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. You don't know any of those things. So you don't believe the truth. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you'd know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus is claiming, this is one of the, there's, there's seven I am statements in, uh, in John's gospel. And, and they're all increasing statements about who he is. You know, the, these I am statements are intended for us to see his uh, oneness with the Father. Because all the things he claims for himself, he's claiming are, are, are um, part of the Father's character. So all the claims that Jesus makes, he's going to claim to be the good shepherd. He's going to claim to be the bread of life. We've already seen that. Now, the, the, all these are pointing to him being the Word of God. And, and as I said the other day, I mean, I just recently heard uh, a Jewish rabbi teaching this, that, that the Father and the Torah are one. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and the Torah is the light of the world, then, well, there you go. He's claiming to be Torah, which is claiming to be the light of the world. There's just one with the Father. When he claims to be the bread of life, he's claiming the same thing. All the things that he claims are, are, the, are, are making him co-equal with God. And you can see why people would find that incredibly blasphemous. These are very straightforward claims that he makes, very straightforward claims. If you understand the Word and you understand Jewish um, theology and Jewish belief, he is making what would be incredibly offensive claims. And you've got to evaluate those things, but you don't have the ability to evaluate them because they don't make any sense. So you think you know these things, and then Jesus does these things, 
and, and the things that he's doing point to the truth of the things that he's saying. And it's important that we see that and that, that, that we understand that in the moment it would be very difficult to evaluate all this. You would have to say, I'm going to have to take a jump and a leap into faith here. But nobody really believed the fullness. The one person who I would say came as close as anybody to fully understanding is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross who, who sees Jesus and, and sees that all these people, including the other man on the cross, are mocking him. And this guy looks and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, if you can see a man dying on a cross and believe that he's coming into a kingdom, then you believe something. But it's only after the Holy Spirit's given that all this is clear and all of it becomes believable. But the resurrection is what actuates every single bit of this because it, it authenticates every claim Jesus made. In the Acts of the Apostles lesson, we're just going to basically recap everything that happened in, in chapter 10. So now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard, so they're, they're local around Jerusalem, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, so the word has gotten back from where he was with, with um, Cornelius. It's gotten back into Judea and into Jerusalem. So when he went up to Jerusalem, when he came home, the circumcision party, the ones who insisted that everybody had to be circumcised, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. In other words, you broke Jewish law. What's going on? Why did you do this? <clears throat> Peter began and explained to them in order. <laughs> I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And a lot of those things, beasts of prey, the reptiles and all that, those are things that are forbidden for Jewish people to eat. He's looking at it closely. I see all this, and then I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean ever entered my mouth. I've only eaten kosher all my life. <clears throat> but the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, don't call common. This happened three times. And then... All was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. Caesarea was an important Roman outpost. It, it, was, a, a, it was an imperial city, actually. And so the, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. He doesn't say who these three men are. Now, we know two of them were servants of Cornelius, and another was a, was a soldier who was a God-fearer. He believed. And he, he had the same faith as Cornelius. Those are the three men that he sent. We've got to assume those servants were probably not Jewish either. So he sends them there, and, and he says, they, they showed up right when I saw this vision. And the Spirit told me to go with them. These six brothers, these, these guys back here behind me, these other Jews who are Christians now, also accompanied we, and we entered the man's house. He said, I'm not the only one who went. <laughs> I have witnesses. These guys saw it all. They know exactly what happened here. <clears throat> and so... He told us, he, uh, Cornelius, told us he, how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He'll declare to you a message by which you'll be saved, you and all your household. Now, it's odd, at least a little bit in my mind, that, that Peter doesn't say this man, Cornelius the centurion, because, well, that just would have made it worse. But we've got to assume they already know this, but, but when you say, when, he's not only a Gentile, He's a Roman soldier. They're the occupiers. They're the people we hate. They're the people Messiah was supposed to come and overthrow. 
So Peter doesn't make a big deal out of drawing attention to exactly who this guy is and what his position is, because it wouldn't have done his argument any good. It wouldn't have helped at all for him to bring that in. He just tells him, this is, this is what the man said to me, that, that an angel appeared to him. Hey, an angel appeared to him and said, this is what is going to happen. He's going to declare a message by which you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And I began to speak. And the Holy Spirit fell on him, just as on us at the beginning. He's, it, was, it was like another Pentecost. <clears throat> and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so, so I remember this, that, that we were going to be baptized with water but, by John, but then the Holy Spirit was going to come on those who believe. And that was the fullness of what was to happen. So, so that first, baptism by John, second, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remembered that. <laughs> if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, who was I then to stand in God's way? And what he's saying is they'd already received the Spirit. I can't, I can't deny them baptism after God's already baptized them. So I didn't have a choice. I baptized them. I baptized what I saw God doing. That's what happened. When they heard these things, they fell silent. <laughs> And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Huh. Was kind of their approach to this. Uh, okay. Well, who are we to judge? If, if, if the Spirit was poured out, and these other six guys here can attest to that too, well, there you go. I, I don't know what it means. I don't know what we're going to do. I have no earthly idea whether we need a plan for how to evangelize the Gentiles and spread the gospel to them or not, I, I don't know. And it's, it's the, the issue is, is, is that sometimes in this life, this goes to all three of these lessons, we can be incredibly confused by what God's doing. We just need to step back and evaluate what we see and what we hear. Sometimes... What it does is when he jumps out of a box, then it causes us to have to rethink some things. And that takes some time for us to assimilate that into our, our, our worldview. We know certain things that we can always depend on. There are some things in this life that we don't get any answers to. You know, it seems unfair. It seems unjust. That's the way this world is. And all we have to do is keep our eyes open and watch for God, listen for Him, and follow where His Spirit leads. As long as that lines up with the truth of Scripture. And for millennia, the prophets had promised that ultimately the Gentiles would be brought in. They just Nobody just knew how. Everybody thought circumcision was the be-all, end-all. And what they're finding out is, nope, it's actually the giving of the Spirit. We're just going to bless and baptize what God has already done.